Initiative. Issue number 59 of the Roll for Initiative podcast. I am one of your hosts, DM Vince, along this week with DM Nick as usual. Nick, how are we? Oh, just fine and dandy. How about you? Goody, good, good. Sitting in again this week, uh, producer Matt. Matt. How you guys doing? Good. And back by popular demand, DM Jason. Earthquake! <laughs> yeah. At the Run time for at, your yeah. water bottles. At the time of this recording, this is the day of the big earthquake on the East Coast. Earthquake apocalypse. 5.9 yes. on the Richter scale. Yep, yeah, felt it all the way out here in Ohio, folks. I had to look over at my bottle of water to see if the water was moving, to tell if it was just my imagination or not. Where did they say it was somewhere around D.C.? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Virginia, D.C., something like that. Wow. Yep. So, yeah. So. I was in the middle of a movie watching a movie, so I didn't even notice it. <laughs> Ah. Yeah, it's only because I was sitting like against a wall that I was like, "Hey, something's huh? I haven't felt this since Caliph. Wait a minute, <laughs> wait that one." <laughs> I do have to say, last year when uh, probably about a half a mile away from me, when two houses exploded because of a gas leak, uh-huh. I, I felt that and heard that, and it, it sounded like someone dropped a piano on the ground. <laughs> wow, it was that loud. So I went to more cheery things. <laughs> I thought it was a pretty fun earthquake, so it's cheery. Okay. Yeah. Cheery things. Uh, Jason, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your Gen Con experience? Oh, boy. I came back with so much loot. I can't even. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I spent more time in the auction this year than I have at any previous Gen Con. I just you was... filled that bag of holding to the max, didn't you? I totally did. I came back with. Well, OK. So I played in a, uh, a Dead Game Society game of star frontiers oh how was that well chad was dming and he is just you know uber dm uber gm i should say in this case uh and so we're doing this you know prometheus calling and uh is you know a a starship drifting around a black hole unable to escape you know being uh dealing with all kinds of things from the past and the future completely exciting uh action-packed lots of role-playing i i i think i'm going to start playing star frontiers Oh. Um, and so I went to the auction and I got myself, I mean, I already had, uh, Star Frontiers, both of the box sets. I just had never played it. I've just been sitting on it going, you know, reading the books and going, this looks really cool. But now mm. that I've you know, played in a good game, uh, so I, I got a few Star Frontiers modules. I got, uh, what did I get here? Uh, well, it doesn't really matter. I got sh- sh- Sundown on Star <laughs> Mist, Mutiny on the Eleanor Moraes, and, uh, Voliturnus Planet of Mystery. Uh, and then I got a bunch of uh, TSR Star Frontiers miniatures Ooh, in the original right. shrink wrap. Ooh. Nice. Never been opened, so I'm going to tear those things open and paint them. As the, <laughs> as the geek rages across the country right now hearing that. No! <laughs> oh, look at this, you know, prime collector's mint item, never been rip. <laughs> yeah. That reminds me of the uh, third printing of the first edition box set that they opened at the auction that was in shrink. Wasn't that awesome? Yes. So there was a box set of, uh, I guess it was, they weren't sure if it was uh, you know, Moldave or what's, what's the very, very first printing? Holmes? Oh. 
Holmes, Holmes. edition. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a Holmes edition. Anyways, it was unclear, and everybody was kind of arguing over it because it was in the shrink wrap. But all these collectors were like, "Well, you see, the front of the box doesn't match the back properly. If you look at the numbers, you see, you can see how it's printed upside down here. You know, and they're just. You, I think that I could have done that shrink wrapping at home, and, and they're arguing Frank about Mentz- it." Yeah, then Frank Menser chimed in and was like, no, actually, that is possible because we were cheap and we would sometimes <laughs> use the leftover first printing box bottoms for the third printing box tops. Nice. Yeah, that's he's like, Frank. we could have totally put it on upside down. <laughs> that's, that's Frank for you. <laughs> so they're all kind of arguing about it, right? And Tim Kask is standing up there. I think it was Tim that was auctioning it off. And he said, well, you know, we're going to auction this off. And, of course, you know, we're not sure what's actually in the box, but it's not like any of you collectors are going to know because you're never going to open the thing. And the bidding goes, and it's, you know, going up and up and up. And it gets up to, whatever, 80 bucks or something. And the guy wins it. And what does he say to uh, Tim right away? Open it. Open it. (laughs) Rip right there in front of all the collectors. It was wonderful. (laughs) Yeah. It It was a sight to behold. Um, but yeah, so I got a lot of great stuff. I got a, uh, I got an original, beautiful copy of Metamorphosis Alpha. Mm. Ooh, um, there's yeah. a blast from the past. From yeah, from Tom, Tom for, Wom did that one. Yep, yep. Hey. Forty, forty-five. Oh, actually, no, James Ward. Jim Ward. James Ward. James Ward. That's yep. it. I'm sorry. But uh, you know, forty-five bucks. But it, come on, it's worth it. Whole bunch of just you know, all, all sorts of great stuff. A full set of old Traveler games, and um, I got. I've pretty much maxed out my dragon collection. I filled in all the gaps, oh, good. so I now have everything, including number two. But I don't have number one because that went for a lot of money, and I wasn't good. Yeah. Traveler, the only game I know of where your character could die in character creation. Isn't that great? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is cool. <laughs> and then I—I'll I, tell you one thing. I mean, I, there's a ton of treasures. I could go on, you know, all day listing all of the great things that I got. But the thing that I'm actually happiest with, I'd never heard of this before. It's, uh, it's, an, it's an accessory, and it says inside here, copyright 1988, Britain Designs. Mm. I'm like, okay, I haven't heard of them. Um, and it's called the Elysian Field Time Tracker Screen. What it is, I think this is dead stock because it doesn't look like it was ever opened before. I got two of them, so um, I can... You know, keep the other one, I guess. But anyways, it's some company called Britain Designs from Chicago, Illinois. And it looks like a DM screen. You know, you set it up like a DM screen. It's really got this beautiful kind of uh, sepia-colored, sepia-toned artwork on it. You know, just something generically fantasy and very nice. But then on the inside, it's got four wheels that you can turn. And they're marked seconds, minutes, hours, and days. Oh, wow. And they're all um, – the whole thing is uh, dry erase. You can write on the screen and wipe it off. And what uh-huh. you can do is set different events that you know are going to happen at certain times, like write them in here. And as the gameplay goes, just you know, as people, as people do things, just turn the wheel a little bit to go, yeah, that took about four minutes. Yeah, it probably took about ten minutes. And then you can slow – you can keep track of the time in the game as you're going along. Oh, interesting. It's brilliant. It's so simple. It's so easy. It's so brilliant. I I wasn't sure what was going to be in it when I bought it, and I'm so glad I did. I think I paid like $3 for it. And this is going to be a constant companion for all of my games. You know, AD&D, Star Frontiers, whatever they are. Sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, see, I walked out of a true dungeon game. You walked out of it? <laughs> oh, really? I, I walked out at the end of the first room. <laughs> really? Why? What? 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 Well, let me just put it this way. If you're going to go through True Dungeon, try to take a few of your own friends. Don't go expecting to be able to. I ended up with a – well, look, one guy was supposed to go with me. He couldn't make it, so I was on my own. But I was like, whatever. you know, It's fine. I'm a a friendly guy. But I ended up with nine people who were all like best buddies since, I don't know, they were children. And – so first of all, I was like, well, okay, I tried to you know, talk to people, but you know, come on, they're, they're, they're doing it with each other. And then I, I couldn't hear a dang thing. It was louder than it had ever been before. And I just got to say the DM sucked. Hmm. I mean, really? just so disinterested in what was going on and not really controlling the thing. So I was like, yeah, $38, huh? Screw it. And I just turned around and wow. walked out. Wow, that, yeah, yeah, so no more True Dungeon for me. That was uh, – oh. unless I've got like a big group of people that I know and you know we're sure that the DM is going to be good. Wow, that's the first time I ever heard anybody not having a good time at True Dungeon. Yeah, I love True Dungeon. It was just the most disappointing experience to have it you know, be unfun. And you, you alluded your jail time this year, Jason, because I put you up for uh, being – Did last. you really? Yes, I did. <laughs> They tried, oh, man. they tried hunting you down. That's why I was trying to get you to come to certain places. Oh. <laughs> and you were I like, I was going to try to kidnap him or something? I was going to get the sheriff to come tackle him and bring him to jail. But he, he was like, no one boozy. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's, that's too bad. I haven't been in jail before. Yeah, you threw me in jail last year. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, Oh, but okay. I just want to say one other thing that was a big highlight. Well, there's a few things that were big highlights. Getting a chance to uh, uh, spend some time with people that I hadn't had a chance to meet before, so I got a chance to you know hang out a little bit with Peter Atkinson and huh. uh, Gail and Luke Gygax were there. Um, so really? you know, that, yeah. So that was that was good. I got to I got to meet some folks that I hadn't uh, met before. Um, and by the way, Gail Gygax is still. Working very hard on the uh, Gygax Memorial. So, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so that's that. They had a whole booth set up, you know, called Old School Renaissance, and uh, they had a lot of Osric things for sale. And they were uh, also giving away a book that, well, giving it away for donations to the memorial. A book called Cheers, Gary. Yeah, I and saw that. Yeah. You saw it? Yeah. Did you get a copy? No. Oh, definitely. I would say, you know, drop them a donation. It's really cool. It's uh, all the N-World uh, conversations he had. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. All, yeah, it's it's all just Gary in his own words bound up in a book of him. It's a it's really nice way to sit down and read all those really fun forum posts. Um, but the, the last thing was there was a game being playtested for the first time at Gen Con this year um, called Adventurer Conqueror King. And... Um, Alex, I forget his last name, the designer of the game, he's kind of more well-known as the founder of the website The Escapist magazine. Yes. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay, so he has, he has designed this game, and it's, it's, uh, it uses the OGL. So, you know, if you're playing first edition, you can sit down, start playing this thing. You'll have no trouble with the rules. It's, you know, it's OGL. You'll totally get it. Um, and it's structured to be... Uh, well, you know, what, what people kind of do anyway, which is starting out as a first-level lowly character and working your way up to becoming a nation 
builder and a king and you're and you're all about political intrigue and huge uh, world map type of things, but it's just structured very well so that it's intended to work that way. So you go from being an adventurer to a conqueror to a king. And we had a really good time playing it. Um, they have a Kickstarter page that they were using to raise the money to print the book, and they were successful. They got the money they needed. So um, I just would say if anybody wants to check out a really cool uh, old-school uh, game, you know, old-school spirit using the OGL rules, uh, take a look for it. It's, it's a lot of fun. Cool. Awesome. So, Matt, yeah. why don't you tell us a little bit what's been going on with gaming with you this week? Oh, gaming-wise, uh, right now my uh, weekly gaming group, we're in between uh, role-playing games uh, sessions. Uh, right. We just finished our Marvel superheroes campaign, and which saw the heroes vanquish Red Skull and Hatemonger's attempt to raise Cthulhu. Oh, wow. What a cool idea. (laughs) Yes. Yes. The Nazis determined the Third Reich's never rising again, so this planet isn't worth existing. So they attempted to raise Cthulhu, but failed, thanks to our heroes. I mean, idea for a plot, but not idea raising Cthulhu. That would be bad. But the good plot idea. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Imagine if they succeeded. What would have happened to your campaign? Oh, well, it was pretty much over after this adventure, no matter what. And they were uh, – the Nazis were very close to winning. They had the three sacrifices they needed at the uh, mouth of the Euphrates. They just needed to finish reading some ancient text. And we used the Ultimate Powers book to create our characters. So two of the cool. characters had elemental conversion, so they could take any matter, convert it to an element. So one of my players decided to convert Red Skull's eyes to oxygen. Cool. To get him to stop reading the text. That would work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So through that, they weren't able to read the text, and yes, the world was saved. Yay. Yay. Uh, so for me, I've been actually pulling out that Call of Cthulhu book, speaking of Cthulhu, and reading that because I'm thinking about doing playing a game of that. So, Nick, you have to check out South Park season last 14 it was. They have a three three episodes based around Cthulhu with Cartman who uh, joins forces with Cthulhu to take over the world. Oh, I've got to see that. Yeah. <laughs> they, they joke on the – remember the BP oil spill? Yes. Well, they, they call it DP. I don't – whatever. Oh, no. Yeah. And oh, they said no. that in efforts to try to save the world, BP was drilling oil to, for something, and they accidentally drilled too far, and Cthulhu came out. <laughs> Oh, that is, yeah. That, it, didn't they do like a two-episode like series two, on it? It was two or three episodes, yeah. Yeah, I think it was three, you're right. Yeah, it was very That's funny. Cartman and Cthulhu working together to destroy the world. Nice. Great. <laughs> so what have you been doing, well, Nick? Well, um, last weekend we uh, continued on with our campaign of the Temple of Existential Evil. Existential. <laughs> okay. The Hackmaster version of Temple of Elemental Evil. And yet, they've yet to actually get into the temple itself. They're very, very close. They got to the um, they got to the outside. They went into the uh, one tower on the outside of the uh, upper level of the temple and cleared that out. But uh, yeah, that that was not all too bad. They were obviously they do things that I don't expect. 
<laughs> but <laughs> like when they went, well, here's the one thing. Oh my gosh. Uh, there's the town before you get to the temple is called Nulb. And Nulb, Nulb? is like Nulb, N-U-L-B. And uh, Nulb is like, I guess the best way to describe it is like how they describe Moss Eisley Spaceport, a hive of scum and villainy. Yes. Um, well, they were able to convince that the people of Nulb, or at least the like the, the tavern owner and most of the other people, to convince them that they were a part of the evil temple. They were able to get them all together in the tavern, except for, let's just say that they were able to get rid of all the evil, but leave the town standing. Oh. Yeah, they got all Some the sort of neutron bomb thing? Well, they basically were able to convince everybody in town to get together in the tavern. Yeah. And they burnt down the tavern. Okay. Oh, <laughs> Nice. I don't want to get into any details, but it was it was very detailed role playing and how they pulled it off. A lot of use of the liar skilled um, uh, skill. Liar <laughs> uh, skill. But um, yeah, that was pretty impressive. They actually, yeah, they burnt down the tavern with everybody in it. Nice. Yeah, I, I'm like, I never saw that one coming. But you know, they I ran with it. I'm like, you know, you got these. Got the head honchos convinced that you're part of the evil temple, and they're going to get together for some special sacrifice and everything. So, oh yeah. So that cool. went rather interesting. That cool, evening. cool, cool. All right, uh, I'm going to hand the mic over to Jason right now, who has an announcement to make, and I'll let him go on. Yeah, Jason. Okay. Uh, so this is a, a bittersweet announcement I have to make, and. Uh, I'll just, I'm going to just come right out with it. This is going to be my last show um, as a regular host of Roll for Initiative. And, uh, yeah, so um, this is where we at, issue number 59. We've done almost two years of this so far. And I'm having, honestly, a great time, just the best time doing this. And, unfortunately, it's also taking up all of my time that um, is starting to kind of bleed over into other things. And uh, uh, it's, it's becoming more stress than fun, sadly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to become a fan <laughs> for a while instead of a, of a host. Um, the, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really know how much there is to say about that, except that um, I'm just incredibly grateful to the people that have been listening all this time. So many people have, written in. I've met a lot of people because of this show and gotten a lot of opportunities to speak to people that I'm a huge fan of uh, through the show, and it's just awesome. So, uh, Vince, you know, this, uh, I got to thank you so much for having uh, kicked all this off in the first place, you know, and brought me in to be a part of it. And, uh, you know, hopefully I'll be back maybe from time to time to kind of guest host or say hello. Oh, we'd love that. Uh, you know, but um, for now, this is uh, Farewell and the Roy Rogers song and all that kind of stuff off uh, into the sunset for me. Yeah. So what does that mean for the show? Someone's probably asking out there. Nothing, really. The show will go on with Nick yes. and myself. The show must go on. The show must go on. 
Jason, don't go. We'll have some. We'll, we'll have. I'll some. be sitting on iTunes writing reviews every week. Oh jeez, <laughs> this place, this show is no good without Jason. Yeah. <laughs> How many puppet accounts can I sit up? <laughs> Darn show. Where's that Jason kid? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll miss you, Jason, and uh, we'll. The seat's always your your chair is always open if you want to come guest again. Thank you. When you have well, a chance. Well, I, I I am you know one of the things I'm going to be spending a lot of my time on is a gaming project. You know, so um yeah, you tell I'll me probably mm-hmm. once uh, I'm actually writing a spy game right now. So uh, if this uh, gets if it finds itself to fruition, maybe I'll come on and and, and hawk it a little bit. But I'd like to come back and uh, every now and then just shout at somebody for not doing the grapple and overbearing rules properly. <laughs> No, then you'd be shouting at all of us because none of us do it. <laughs> Why aren't you using armor class versus weapon? Now we can argue about the whole cleric thing again. Allow me to show you the chart that I have produced to tell you why clerics cannot have edged weapons. Yes. No way. <laughs> You're wrong! <laughs> I've done a bit of research in the original Latin, and I'd like to tell you about it. <laughs> so from now on, we'll just be Nick and myself with maybe a guest once in a while until Jason comes, pops his head back in and says hi to us again. And we'll head into Table Matters. Typical of all the evil creatures in the world, I'd like to find one with Table Manners. What are you kidding me? I've spent years cultivating the worst Table Manners on the planet. And now we are in Table Manners, where we will be discussing metagaming, that nasty thing that most games end up with when the players just know too much. So if you're gaming with someone like Nick, who has every monster memorized, how do you handle that? And don't, you know, for, don't forget 30 to- years of gaming, you think I would know something about all the monsters in the game, you think? Don't forget, metagaming can be done on the DM side as well, because yes. uh, a DM could be listening to the party's plans. How does he not know? You know, you got to be a good DM not to say, "Haha, the monsters know what you're doing," because I know what you're doing. Yes, right. you end up with the whole princess bride thing of "I know that you know that I know that you know that I know that you know." <laughs> Inconceivable. Yes. So what's the, what's the actual definition of metagaming? Knowing uh, something your player knows that a character shouldn't know? Yeah. But basically, any knowledge that your the player has that the character would not. And having the character actually act on that knowledge. Right. Yeah, like in one of the campaigns that was maybe about ten years ago, I still remember this. The guy said, oh, we're leaving that room? What about the buried sword of plus one? Uh, <laughs> never mind. No. The DM's like, what sword plus one? He goes, it's in... Oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, DM was kind of pissed then, and so. Yeah, but I mean, at that point, I, I think as a DM, that's when you go, "Yeah, there's no sword there now." Well, no, yeah. the sword was gone apparently, but you know. Yeah. yeah. So or I'd you... say, yeah, it's there, but it's cursed. <laughs> no, it's cursed. So yeah, you... and I mean, I, I think maybe another side to the metagaming issue can be not just knowledge of the adventure itself or the monsters in it, but um, some of the little optimizing things that people do sometimes that I think are more about understanding the rules of the game than they are about... Like mid-maxing, kind of? Yeah, I mean, not that AD&D necessarily lends itself as much to that as some systems do, but still, if that's the way you play, 
you know, I think there's things that players do that a uh, character wouldn't think of if they were actually in that world as opposed to being a player looking at the rules behind that world. Hmm. Interesting. Man, dead silence. Dead silence. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, it, 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 it's tough for me because yeah. I, I, it's tough for me to be certain if I'm talking about this in a first edition kind of world because I, I, as a favor to a friend, I, I, I jumped in and did some DMing on a, uh, a game of D and D Encounters, the fourth edition game that's kind of for people who haven't played that you know just get an, used to the idea of role playing and. Um, which, you know, it's cool. I like that that's, that's out there. But it was such a different experience. And one of the guys at the table, um, to his to actually help me a lot because he knew rules. I didn't know the rules like that. I was just like, well, there's, this is, there's a dragon and now this is going to happen. And he's like, yes, but do you realize that you've got combat advantage? I'm like, what? <laughs> so in some cases it was kind of helpful. He's like, what about your action point? I'm like, you're what? <laughs> but uh, – yeah. yeah, so I mean, sure. There's maybe if if a, if a game system, whatever system you're playing, has some rules that are a bit more gamey than uh, others, then sure they can take advantage of those. But there must be some things in first edition, such as you know, oh, I chose not to prepare that spell this morning because I knew that um, one of the other players would be uh, doing something that would that would offset it. You know, I, I decided I wouldn't I wouldn't bother doing any. Uh, I wouldn't pray for any healing potion, any healing spells today, because I think that in a castle like this, the DM is sure to have put healing potions in plenty of good places. Yeah, right. you can even say the same about weapon selections, because you'll have weapons that, damage-wise, they'll be identical, but they'll be different sizes, different speeds, and they'll pick the weapon that offers them the most combat advantage, not necessarily right. what their character would carry. Right. I guess that's a, yeah, that is a bit like metagaming too, where you take those rules, knowledge of the rules, and I guess meld them with what your character would do and to your best advantage, I, I guess would be a way of saying it. Yeah. That's, yeah, I that's mean, from a, one yeah. type of metagaming I, I never even really thought about. From, from a player's perspective, I was playing in somebody's uh, AD&D game at Gen Con the other week. And I was a little disappointed that the way that the dungeon was laid out, and it was, you know, tunnels under a mountain, but whatever, it felt a lot more like something that a DM would do in order to balance it than the way that you would actually um, construct this if you were trying to, you know, build a stronghold. You know, it was it was much more about balancing it for the game, and I just, all of the things that I was trying to think as a character, like, what would I expect to be coming up? turned out not to be and all the things that i would think of as a player of a game like how would you balance this properly that turned out to be the way it was so ah so i had to think more like a person playing a board game than a adventurer going through a dungeon and that just takes you out of the role-playing aspect of it because you're 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 gaming the system instead of you know doing a role-playing slash gaming uh experience yeah. Instead of doing both things, you know, there's a little bit of gaming involved, a little bit of role play. Now you're just you're just kind of gaming your your way through it. If you ever find yourself at a table where somebody says, you know, I'm going to check for traps, and the next person says, well, really, do you think the DM's going to put a trap here? That's that's meta gaming. Yeah, that is that is absolutely most. My so what do you do? 
Yeah, what do you do? Uh, what do you do? It's crazy. It's not. The opposite of what the players are doing. <laughs> the opposite of what the players Yeah. <laughs> well, if a player's I, I, sitting there going, okay, I, I throw these kobolds at them, and they're just like, well, uh, I know they automatically have this armor class and this many hit points, I would change everything around. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why you sometimes, as on the, on the DM side, that's where you have to every so often throw the players a curveball. You know, do something out of the ordinary, something that they won't expect. And that but then that's sometimes hard to gauge. Sometimes especially if you're have a group of players that you've been with for a long time and mm-hmm. they they know how you are as a GM. Sometimes it's you gotta as a GM try to get out of that way how they're anticipating how you are as a GM, you gotta somehow break out of it. I I think I have recently with the game world that I made where they're five hundred years in the future. So the whole history of the world that they know of is like brand new to them. Good. And that I think that helps tremendously. They're in a world where yes there are some familiar names, but most of everything else has changed up and that did throw them for a loop and um now we'll see how it goes so like yeah throwing them a curveball once in a while like that i think helps on the gm side but player side boy <laughs> yeah yeah you could even try when it comes to uh player knowledge about the world or monsters try working that into the character character why would their character know this? So maybe right. you can explain away some of that player knowledge so you don't have to worry about right. it as much. I think a lot of times as players, we forget that we do not know everything. Our, our characters do not know everything about the world. Just to give an example. Say, I don't know, a ranger who spent most of his time in the mountainous areas of a particular region of the world. He would have little, if any, knowledge of things that would be found in a swamp or in a desert or anything like that. He's out of his—he's out of his environment. So yep. you can't have a ranger who's from the the, the mountainous uh, hinterlands of uh, of the north, and somehow he he and his adventuring party come across these vast deserts. He's not going to have knowledge of the Dune Stalker. Okay, (laughs) he's not going to know what that thing is. (laughs) And, you know, maybe his tracking is not as good in other places, too. Do you think? Exactly. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. and things like that, like uh, like a magic user. I don't know, for example, who spent most of not all of his time in the city in an urban environment just studying, (laughs) just studying magic Um, or so he might have some knowledge on. Uh, on on magic and maybe being in a city and our environment know a little bit about diplomacy and being in the city. But once he's out there in the wilds, he's going to be like, you know, a fish out of water. He's not going to have a lot of knowledge. And I think a lot of times as players, we forget to, uh, to play that up. Yeah. Top secret SI actually did something interesting when it come came to player knowledge that they said, if a player knows it, their character knows it. the, uh, skills they take are just to supplement things the character the player does not know. So if I'm a chemist in real life, 
my character in Top Secret SI also has that same chemistry knowledge. Oh, cool. So they Yeah, I mean so, that works really well with well, a game that's set in modern like, times. Right. For a modern time game that works well when it comes to the lands of fairies and dragons, however, it's kind of hard to make that same comparison. Although actually now that I think about it enough players as it's been 40 years of D&D now that has existed, there's enough that probably have more or less grown up in that world. <laughs> so, yeah. well, you never know. You know, let's use let's use Nick as an example. Wow. <laughs> No, I'm saying of having a lot of knowledge of something. You know, you're a walking monster manual. Uh, well, you know, hey, all those years, I had to read something. <laughs> so, actually, you're a walking fiend folio. Yes. That's what it is. I take that as a compliment. Thank you very I much. I mean it as one. I hope so. Because <laughs> <laughs> Lord knows what you'd throw at me out of the pages of that book if I didn't. Go get Yankee. <laughs> That's probably what it would be. Or a flump. Anywho. Flump. Uh, so, yeah, metagaming, I think the most common thing, and I think we were all talking about before, is like adventures, you know, modules that, you know, you've heard about, you've maybe played, and you're playing through them again. And I'm actually experiencing that right now. I do have a player, um, Gary. He, uh, great player he's been playing probably as long as i have he knows a lot about the different adventures different modules and we we talk about them from time to time and you know we're playing through essentially temple of elemental evil he's played through it before but he's been very very good of keeping his knowledge of the adventure out of the game and using it to his advantage and to a larger degree to the advantage of the party and i i actually i commend him on that and that takes that takes a lot because you know, um, I know I've been in that situation where it's like you've played a particular adventure, and you're like you're thinking it back in your head. I know what's going to happen next, <laughs> yeah. but you you can't say anything. You don't want to say anything, and and that's to a person's credit. It's best to say, you know what, my character has no knowledge. Play it through, see what happens. You might surprise yourself. Word, yeah, word. <laughs> So when it comes to metagaming, basically, just try to think what your character would know and go with that, as opposed yep. to just trying to actually role play, don't play the game. So listeners out there, let us know what your thoughts are on metagaming. How do you handle someone with the encyclopedia of knowledge on adventure modules and monster manuals? You can write us at rfistaff at gmail.com, and we are now going to head into game mechanics. You think I'm mad? Perhaps I am. What are you, a wizard, a genius? Darn. A perfectly good brain wasted. Game mechanics. And we are back with game mechanics. Pulling double and, duty this week. Oh, yeah. Back to back. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we are going to be discussing the mixing of potions. When I say mixing of potions... I'm not talking about brewing a potion. I'm actually talking about what happens when you take your potion of clairvoyance and mix it with your potion of giant strength. Boom. In your tummy. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If we go to uh, page uh, 119 of the DMG under potion missability, it talks about 
the two conditions in which uh, potions can mix when they're, you actually mix them uh, or they're just intermingled or when someone consumes a potion and then while the effects of that potion are taking place, you consume another potion. And then there's actually a chart that you can roll on when that happens. Yes. That, I love this one. Charts. Yes, oh yes it's glorious. Well, let's roll. Go, let's roll. Yes. Go so, ahead. Oh, I don't have dice handy. Someone roll me a a percentile. All I right. Know. Hold on a second. You I got strength, a potion here. of healing and a potion of giant strength. And? 73. 73. Um, they're they work normally unless their effects are contradictory, such as diminution and growth, which will simply cancel each other out. Whoop, 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 whoop. But if you would have rolled a zero one, you would have had an explosion internal nice. for oh. six oh. to sixty hit points. Yes, an internal explosion, six to sixty hit points, and those within a five radius take one to ten hit points. Oh. If you mix them externally, yes, and if you mix it externally. Everyone within a 10-foot radius takes 4 to 24 hit points. And no save. <laughs> no save. No save. How about, a, no save. how about if you roll a double O? Then we're at discovery. Discovery. The mixture of the two discovery. potions has caused a special formula and will cause one of the two potions only to function, but its effects will be permanent. Oh. Yes. So that permanent potion of giant strength does make me wonder, though, what is a permanent potion of healing? <laughs> Yeah, I'm uh, kind of wondering about that. You become Wolverine. <laughs> so you well, just okay, your- so it doesn't say here, it doesn't tell the DM which one to make permanent. Right. No, I'd be up to the so, DM's discretion. Yeah. yeah. I'd actually I mean, roll it off 50-50 if it was two potions. Bah. Yeah, unless one of them was one that as a DM you'd have a hard time, like, like healing, potion of healing. Right. Uh... I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe you just give them a little bit of a you know permanent. Every day you have the ability to have you know to heal four points of damage at will, but only once a day. Well, maybe so, it affects like a, like a ring of regeneration or something. Right. Yeah. That's actually pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Because let's see, what's some of the potions that are out there we could mix like this? Are there any that could really? Okay. How about this one? That would damage a campaign. Yeah. <laughs> Well, no, oh, actually, boy. it doesn't all have to be. Doesn't all have to be good either. What if one of them is a potion of flying? I was just thinking that you permanently fly. <laughs> potion yeah. of gaseous form. <laughs> that that's yeah, goodbye to your character in a <laughs> puff of smoke. You're filter now Kitty Pryde. Yeah, yeah. filter of love. Ooh. Uh. That, I, I I have to look it up, but I I think that's something that makes creatures or fall in love with you, so that could really mess up a camp. This, this um, is fun. Start mixing would, your potions, people. Yeah, here's, here's one, one that would really mess things up. Undead control. <laughs> that'd be a little... That'd now, be pretty here's, yeah, here comes now Frodo, the zombie master. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, treasure finding. Oh, boy. Well, you know, a DM has always got it within their discretion to do something about a character that's gotten too powerful, to find some way to, you know, have a nice curse waiting for them. Uh, you know, specially prepared inside a trap that only they're going to happen to set off. So, yeah. Isn't the that so gaming though? Well, the DM's allowed to metagame. <laughs> yes. Well, no, ha, ha, okay. Mm. <laughs> no. Well, the DM, well, okay, my opinion is the DM's job is to keep the story going and keep everybody having a good time. And if that means a little metagaming to get it back on track, go for it. Yeah. Why is that considered metagaming, Nick? 
I don't know. It just seems well. Okay, I would do it too. But well, anyway. the rules also give you that. The rules also give you the say. You can actually go ahead and pre-assign what different combinations would do. So you could have in your world if you drink a potion of healing with anything else, the potion of healing just canceled. So it actually gives you that caveat as well. So you're not stuck with strictly uh. the random <laughs> table. Well, that's good. Yeah, this is just well. This is a place where you know metagaming would be dangerous if you had well, not dangerous, but annoying if you had a player who was sitting around going, "Well, I'm deliberately mixing potions because I know the rules, and you didn't roll it properly. I should be able to heal eternally." You know, that's where you're like, you know, actually, you might have read the book, but it's my game, right? As you permanently lost all your hit points, you have one. Yeah. <laughs> And, and and just for the uh, for the people yes. who might be listening and getting ready to write in about well actually the potion of flying wouldn't you know as I'm looking at it now probably the potion of flying would not force you to permanently fly because it actually just enables the individual to fly in the same manner as the third level magic user spell so they're not forced to fly but it would still be funny if you made them do it anyways oh. okay cool. Oh, one last one before we finish the segment. One last potion to make permanent. Diminution. Shrinks you to 5% your normal size. Oh, that's a good one to have. Yes. That'd be awesome. I love the idea of a character who's uh, permanently 5% their usual. And all their and all their possessions are 5% of their usual size. Yeah. And they'll be, be running handy. around. Yeah, they'll be running around looking for that uh, potion of uh, enlarge to get back to normal size. So I'll they just now think have... of all the things that they could get away with at 5% their usual size. Yeah. And yeah. for the party, you don't have to share as much treasure with them. Ah, you're tiny. You don't need all this gold. You couldn't carry it. One gold piece is enough. <laughs> yeah. Put that in your knapsack. Here, this belt pouch is like a giant tent to you. <laughs> nice. All right, so tell us how you do it. Mix your potions. What do you do? Do you have a chart pre-planned? Write us staff at gmail.com. 570-865-4210, the RFI hotline. And we'll head into Creature Feature. Creature, creature, feature, feature, theater, theater, theater. All right, folks, it's Creature Feature Theater, and this week we're not going to the Fiend Folio. <gasps> surprise, ah, surprise. Last Fiend. Yes, shock. I know. We're going to Monster Manual Part 2. <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. Yeah. And um, Monster Manual 2. And if you go to page 94 of your Monster Manual 2, we're going to talk about, I think it's pronounced Myconid, the Myconid, or the Fungus Man. Oh, Yeah. I you know, that. this is a yeah. I read up on this thing. I'm I'm a little I was a little familiar with them. I kind of just pass them like okay, wants to play up against a bunch of like you know mushrooms, but they're very <laughs> very interesting. Shrooms, dude. Um, yeah, they're they're pretty cool. I like it's a very detailed description about not just the mycodids uh, themselves, as far as you know you know how they hit dice and hit points and when, you know, number of pairing, what have you, but a detailed description of like their, their society. Huh. Uh, but, but in itself, the myconids or fungus men, they look like walking toadstools. Um, their skin extrudes, I guess, uh, a type of substance that can be harmful to the uh, animal flesh and thus 
it can cause one to four points of damage when touching it. Unless, uh, but it's not on their hands. It's just other parts of their body. Um, they never venture out in the sunlight from underground because they are they're afraid of the sunlight. They there's no there's nothing known that there's an effect on them as far as sunlight. So that's something that as a DM you might want to explore later on if you want to use these guys in a campaign. Cool. But uh, their society it's based on circles, and this is totally reflected in their Google alignment. Of being, well, just like. Uh, they're just small social groups. <laughs> Google and this circles. is so Google this circles. Is a, Google yeah, Plus. they're based on circles. Google circles. So they have Google Plus. Yes. Oh. Oh, sorry. <laughs> these are my work micanoids, and these are my friend micanoids. Over here are my school buddy micanoids. <laughs> and these are the ones I micanids. Sorry. Yeah. Or micanids, where they're called. Yeah. Sorry. I like micanoid. That sounds good, though. But um, that way, though. Mycanids, they have these circles, social groups of roughly twenty, uh, roughly of twenty individuals, and their day is structured: eight hours of work, eight hours of sleep, and eight hours of what's called melding. And this might have entertainment, worship, and social interaction. Then the Mycanids, they form a tight circle during this melding, and the elder members release report and hallucinator spores. The entire group then merges into a collective telepathic hallucination for eight hours. So they all get high. Oh, this is Basically. awesome. This, this Mycanids were definitely, I don't care, 1982 this came out, these were created in the 70s. Yes. Yeah. Yes, Mycanids definitely. consider this melding to be the reason for their existence. So, yeah, and it's strictly uh, structured. They have these three eight-hour uh, eight days, and this is reflected, like, in their alignment. They're lawful neutral. So they respect this whole three eight-hour day. Um, there's, like I said, there's about 20 members in a Mykonid circle, and the highest member, <laughs> cute, I should say, the <laughs> highest ranking member is the one he's called the Mycadid King, and I'll get to him a little bit like later. Like the Lizard but, King. Yeah, in a way, if you want to go with that Jim Morrison. I do. <laughs> I'm taking this there. I'm I'm completely taking this there every time. <laughs> but hey, what's, um, what's the really hallucinogenic uh module? Isn't there a real psychedelic module? Psychedelic one? Yeah, well, I thought one of the modules well, had a real psychedelic theme to it. Well, there's Dungeon Land and Land Beyond. No, nah, it's just Alice in Wonderland. That's not psychedelic. Well, enough. yeah, that is psychedelic, but it's not what I was thinking of. All right, I'm going to look it up of, while you talk. Yeah, I can't think of it. But um, depending on the hit dice of the Mycanid, they have different types of spores that they can release. Like a one hit dice, Mycanid can release a distress spore out in a cloud and it basically warns other Mycanids that there's danger. If you get the two hot hit dice that can do distress and reproducer. Basically, a reproducer is, you know, a way of reproducing. Uh, there's one called report, which is a way of communicating. And this is how mycanids can communicate with other creatures. They release a spore. And if you, I believe, fail a save versus poison then you can have a telepathic link with those mycanids and talk to them telepathically. Oh, I found so the psychedelic module. Which one was it? Which, which one I was, was remember, 
Well, okay, it wasn't that it was that much. I was remembering the way that somebody had reviewed it once. There was a uh, uh, Ken Denmead of Wired wrote an article about the best D and D modules, and he said that the uh, Queen of the Demon Web Pits was that the doors in it were kind of like something out of uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Band. Ah, okay. so, And he was saying that it was a very psychedelic kind of experience that you could set it up that way. So I think that's the one huh. I was thinking of. But okay. anyways, we should put some of these guys in there because that's perfect. Yeah. Down, the demon, down the demon web pits? Oh, yeah. There you go. Well, you have the report, yeah, Pacifier, which basically when, uh, I believe, a four-hit dice, Mike and Ed, releases a Pacifier spore, you fail your save versus poison, you just stand there and don't do anything against them. You just kind of like your senses and your your thinking is completely dulled. And then the next one, this is where you get pretty interesting. You have the hallucinator, a five-hit yep. dice. When you get the five-hit dice, you could do everything else plus hallucinator, where you could start <laughs> start uh, seeing weird things. And yeah, then man. you have the last one, six hit dice, and I think this is probably if the hallucinator one wasn't enough, animator. This is where the this is the only one that the king is. He's a six hit dice Mykonid, and that's the uh, Mykonid king. He can release a spore that can basically reanimate the dead. A purple fungus will grow on the corpse, and it'll become a zombie. Hmm. But they cannot be turned by a cleric. Yeah, they're not that kind of a zombie. They're more yeah, of it's a, like a, it's a, fungus like a Caribbean zombie. zombie. Like a Caribbean yeah. zombie. Yeah, almost. On. Almost. Pretty close. Pretty close to that. Um, and the, uh, the, the fungus, uh, the Mycodid King, can use these as, you know, like maybe as guards or as uh, maybe even workers. Something of that nature. I always, and what I thought was very interesting is. At the very end, when they talk about the Mykonid king, he's the largest member, like he said, he's six hit dice, and he's the only member of the group that is not allowed in the circle. Huh. Which I thought it was kind of interesting. What they, and I, the description is, the other Mykonids regard separation from their circle with horror and pity the lonely king. The leadership role is thought of as a very unpleasant duty, almost a condemnation. However... When the old king dies, the strongest five hit dice Mike hit it always assumes they're all the new king. The king must remain outside circle affairs to retain objectivity and pay close attention to the duties of leadership. The king animates guardians for the colony. Uh, so the Mike so he's basically have- their designated driver. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of yeah. like their protector, the designated driver. If you, he's the guy. He's the sober he's one. Also- He's the one that also has to be aware of what's going on outside of the colony. Like if there's any outside threats. Yeah. So everybody else is getting high. He's on guard. Okay. I am right now writing writing myself an adventure based around a bunch of Mykonids organized like Charles Manson out at the Spawn Ranch. (laughs) Oh, my God. Wow. Funny that you mention adventures. Uh, Mykonid were... From, were featured in an adventure before they were in Monster Manual 2. Can any of you guess what it is? Um, I cannot. Um, Palace of the Silver Princess. I don't know what. Oh, you're wrong! Oh, what was it? Catch a Falling Matt? Star. Matt? Come on, Matt. Nah, I, I read this earlier and I can't remember. Module A4? 
in the Dungeons of the Slave Lords. It's part of the Slave Lord series. Ah, uh, you know what? I just I just went through Dungeons of the Slave Lords, but we didn't get that far. Yeah, it was, and a, it's turn, also it was like a geek the, con game. They so, did the mega dungeon. So now you have some uh, meta gaming, Jason. Yeah. It's also I'll just scream the, Jerry Garcia and run the other way. <laughs> it's also in the uh I think when they create it as the the mega dungeon, I forget what it's called, Assault of the Slave Lords, where it became the big super module. Mm-hmm. They combined all four. The Mike and Ed were in that. And in that module, I have it right here. It's the not to give away too much, but there's the abode of the Mykonids, and they have um, just outside of it. There's a mushroom garden. There's a also a quote unquote welcoming committee. <laughs> <laughs> you could probably guess what those are comprised of. There's a fungus forest, a farm. There's also the the chamber in which they all meld. And the royal chamber where the uh, the king is now in the module there is a situation to where where you're trying to get away from the slave lords and you're in these dungeons and not to give away too much but uh, <laughs> your characters are lacking in a lot of things because <laughs> you're trying to escape the slave lords so you don't have much of nothing you got loincloths <laughs> that's pretty much it but. Um, yeah, I tell you, we put those loincloths to good use the last time I went through that module. Oh, really? Okay. That <laughs> oh. you can you can do all sorts of stuff with them if you don't mind. You're running around without wearing it. It's like the towel, a hitchhiker's guide. Very useful, as a matter of fact. Yes. But, but um, there's a situation in the dungeon where if you can help the Mykonid and they can be your allies. There's a certain situation that will arise if you complete a particular task or if you already had and then you meet them. Uh, they might befriend you and help you out a little bit. So, yeah, it was a module A4 in the Dungeons of the Slave Lords. I'm, I remember reading this. I'm like, weren't they in a module? And I go to my go to my bookshelf, and there it is. And you can see it right on the cover. It's an Errol Otis cover, and it's about as psychedelic as Errol has ever done. <laughs> so... <laughs> Those are the Mycodid, uh basically in a in a mushroom cap. No, oh. uh, uh, uh So, you know, I, you know what? actually, After these guys. I want to use these in my campaign. They're really cool. I really do want to write a whole adventure around them. You know, I, I, I guess I probably wouldn't want to turn them into evil and uh, give them the spawn ranch side of thing. I'd probably find some other monster to assume the role of the Manson family, but I would like to have them in there somehow, maybe guiding the player, guiding the characters on some sort of a journey of the mind that gets them ready to take on the evil ones. I, I also picture them if you, if you are able to talk to them through the, uh, the, the report spore, they have to have some completely alien way of thinking. I mean, mm-hmm. it's got to be weird. I mean, these they're they're fungus. I mean, come on. <laughs> I would have to make this, Yeah, I would have to make the experience as a DM when the, the the players are interacting with these fungus men when they're actually talking to them. They're going to be like, "What are they talking about?" <laughs> what is you know, I would say. Read some, uh, read some of Robert Anton Wilson's kind of more psychedelic writings, and just sort of steal from some of his characters if you yeah. want to give them. Yeah. So read or the trilogy again. Not a bad idea. Um, 
Or uh, I, I think there's actually – I don't even remember if Hagbard Selene has like a whole scene where he goes through something like that or not. But um, have you guys ever seen the film uh, – I think it's from like the late 1960s, maybe early 70s. It's got Peter Fonda in it and it's called The Trip. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard about that one. That was the one, that they, used be... the, that was the one they used to fund Easy Rider. Is it really? Yes, kidding. It's, it's an that, awesome movie. Yeah, they made Easy Rider from the from the from the funds they made off that. It's a really <laughs> good movie, and if you want to uh, get yourself into the mindset to kind of go like, okay, I've got it. I've got this sort of '70s psychedelic mindset going on, and you don't want to go out and you know buy a bunch of illegal drugs and destroy your brain just to play a game, then uh, much better to watch that movie. <laughs> Play some Iron Butterfly in the background. Yeah. It sounds like you're doing a Cheech and Chong song, but yeah. Hey, man. You can watch any of the Cheech and Chong movies. Actually, oh, that would be awesome yeah. if you had a little, little comedy bit on and be like Cheech and Chong. Speaking of Cheech and Chong, I have to tell you guys something funny really quick. I was watching that new TV show that's on uh, USA or TNT called Franklin and Bash. And they would okay. do. And it's about lawyers in court, and it was one kid got busted for drugs in court, and guest starring was Chong as the judge to deal with that case. Oh, awesome. <laughs> I didn't recognize hilarious. him at first because he was all dressed up. It was neat. Hair was all neat, and his beard was trimmed. But then oh when he said – he got up and said, are you guys getting bushed from Mayor One? I'm like, oh, my God, that's Chong. <laughs> What's the show called? Uh, Franklin and Bash. Good. I need a new TV show. <laughs> it, just, it just season just ended. Good. I can watch the whole thing at once. Yes. So how would how would you use them in a campaign, uh, uh, Vince? If you were going to use the Mykonid, any ideas? I don't know how I would use these guys. Maybe I would send them. I would send the players out to find these mystical creatures to give them information, and mm-hmm. they have to speak to the king. But you know, they kind of have to toke on the way there or something. I don't know. <laughs> how about a uh, you're 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 a cleric in a religion, and you've been called to. Uh, a very, very high-level cleric who is concerned that his uh, followers have been straying to a false god, and he's trying to figure out what's happening, and it turns out all they've been doing is getting mixed up with the Myconids, and they've been getting high, and now they start thinking that there's a god that doesn't even exist. And the Myconids are trying to actually go, no, 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 we're not trying to tell them that, but unfortunately you have to figure out some way to free them from the influence. One way I think uh, you could play them, and that's – it kind of alludes to it in the in the description in the monster manual is they seem to be and I think we talked about this earlier, Matt, they seem to be kind of like they're very wary of surface dwellers, uh, uh, very wary, wary, I guess, in a very loose sense. They're yeah. they, they tend to shun uh, anybody from the surface anyway. Right. So they, I think it'd be really hard to interact with them. I guess that what would yeah. you say, Matt? I, I could just see them as being having their own little tribe, their own little community, and then the players are just, oh, we're on to our next adventure or whatever. Then all of a sudden they just find this, all these mushrooms, and depending on if the players say, uh-oh, they look like monsters, let's smash them, or do they try to interact or they just ignore them? Because the Mycodin are peaceful creatures. They're not going to just attack. They're right, not, right. They're not going to engage unless the players bring it on themselves. Right. In fact, it's the Mycenae King who makes those animated co- corpses with the spores. It's th- those zombies' job is to defend the uh, the circle. He, right. he tries to keep from the Mycenae actually themselves fighting. They want to just work, sleep, 
and like commune, man. You know, like get together <laughs> and just like be hey. one with the shroom, man. man right yeah, through. yeah. And far hey. out, Nick. I just want to be left alone. <laughs> Nick, guess what? What? There's a Pokemon like this. Shut <laughs> that. <laughs> yes, there is. So, yeah, look it up. I'm not going to tell you really? which one. Yeah, there actually is a Pokemon like this. It's a mushroom. It's a mushroom that's, that has that spores things out to, like, knock people out because they're, they're, you know, they're sent. And when they're all in a group together, they all, like, spend their spores out and they all dance and sing and, <laughs> like, they're if all If there's high. a Pokemon like the Micah did, then that just shuts the book on the whole thing. <laughs> they stole everything from D&D. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. So uh, I'd like to hear how you folks out there maybe want to use the mic in it. Or if you have, you know, give us a buzz over at, uh, what is it, osrgaming.org, the website over there. Drop us a line. With Let us Nick, know what you think. Nick seven posts. Hey, you know, I got things to do. Uh-huh. Stuff to do. Matt has and, more uh, posts than you do now. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And... I guess this will uh, bring us to our next feature, which is the Dragon's Horde. Sure. The Dragon's Horde. Now we're stepping into, carefully, don't disturb, it's the Dragon's Horde. Oh. Unit. It's done it. Alright, so in the Dragon's Horde, we uh, finally come to something that I do like to put into uh, my campaigns. Uh, I think I've probably had this show up at least once in every campaign I've ever run, to be perfectly honest. And that is the Ring of Wizardry. Okay. And uh, this ring uh, can only be used by magic users. Uh, Other classes, it doesn't matter if they can use spells or not, they can neither use nor even understand the workings of a ring of wizardry. Uh, Because basically it's good for one thing, and that's increasing the amount of spells that a magic user is capable of preparing in a day. And uh, before you put this into the game, you just uh, roll it up to see what kind of a ring you've got here. So if we roll, let's see, I just rolled an 82. So that means that this would be a ring that doubles your third level spells cool yeah um yeah so it, it can the, the most common the the you know one to 50 are ones that double the first level spells um it is possible to roll a double o when you're putting one of these in your game and uh be able to double both fourth and fifth level spells so that would be a powerful well even uh, at third level if you got the third level one i mean right imagine you know being a i don't know What's a good level of magic user they have? Five. Third level. Okay, fifth level magic user. I'll look it up here. Um, fifth level magic user. You, well, oh, well. You get one spell. It doubles, you get two. Okay, so, great. That's better than one. But but what if well, you got you were, What if you were, let's say, what if you were eighth level? You would get, normally you have three. With this ring, you would get Maybe six. <laughs> Ooh. There you go. But then if you have... Um, I'm not sure. Wait a second. Sorry. 
I don't know what made me think of this. I guess I was I was mistakenly thinking about wisdom. I was about to say something about magic users getting an intelligence bonus, but no, 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 no. That's not that's not no, right. no, 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 no. Wrong no, edition. No. But but um, the way I do use this is I, I while it's really exciting to be a big powerful wizard and get your extra third or fourth or even fifth level spells, uh, I usually prefer to have the ones that just are either doubling your first or maybe your second level spells because where I usually try to have a ring of wizardry show up is in a very early uh, campaign. Cause honestly the, the poor magic user who's only got first level spells and only gets, you know, one or two of them. Mm, it's yeah. tough. So it's nice to be able to, you know, if to yeah. have a, 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 the thing is that I think that the magic items and treasures that I most like putting in a, adventure are the ones that are do two things one uh that they don't unbalance the game too much you know that they, that they are not overly powerful and two that they that when a player gets it they get genuinely excited about it and if you're a mag, if you're playing a magic user and you suddenly can double your first or your second level spells because you're kind of low level players get re- they really like getting that I agree. It well, even fair. um, like even a high level wizard, you know, relatively high, like an eighth level, he gets That's a high. ring of wizardry that doubles first level spells. You yeah. went from what four to eight per day. That's true. So I mean, imagine you get casting that. eight magic missile spells a day if you were going to max out just magic missile. Mm-hmm. And at eighth level, how many magic missiles can you cast <laughs> from one spell? <laughs> How many, how many missiles generally come out? That's like three or four. Yeah, that's that's a hell. Of, that's that's hellacious. <laughs> so, yeah. and then I think you get into the other thing that makes a good treasure is one that you can, as a DM, fairly easily and plausibly take away. Yeah. So if they do start getting to the point where you're like, you know. Old uh, Bigby there is getting a little bit too powerful, and it's really nobody else is getting to do very much. He's sitting there with thirty-seven thousand spells. Uh, the next time he reaches in for something, a little creature bites his finger and pulls the ring and runs away. <laughs> yeah, and takes the and, finger you know, with him. Maybe so. I've, I've encountered a version of this ring there um, a few years back. Um, when my uh, my players, when we were at a Hackmaster tournament, uh, the aforementioned Gary I was talking about, he has a character who is a cleric magic user. And uh, we were in the tournament. I can't remember if it was either Gen Con or Origins. And he, one of the things, if you're, you're uh, you can win like uh, serialized magic items. Magic items have serial numbers and they're way super cool magic items. One of the things he got was a version of this ring of wizardry, but it's called the awesome ring of wizardry. And what this one does, see if I remember correctly, is or it's like the most awesome ring of wizardry. It it doubles the amount of third level magic user and third level cleric spells. (laughs) I'm like, great, and the cleric magic user has it. 
So you could make maybe a version of this where it also, you know, doubles uh, your cleric spells. You know, instead of being the ring of wizardry, the ring of clericy, piety, clergy, ring of piety. There you go, ring of piety, or the super yeah. ring of wizardry, where you can make it where it does, you know, cleric and magic user. I don't know. So, although yeah, you he, know, I think um, a ring of piety for me would have to be limited to lower level cleric spells. This is just purely out of continuity with the way the game world is supposed to work. Because a cleric, for getting their higher level spells, they get them granted directly by their deity. They, they right. pray specifically for those. And I think any self-respecting major deity on, in, 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 in the world would not allow themselves to be forced into something like that by something That's like a little Doubling their worshippers' spell ability. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that as soon as Odin looked down and saw his cleric standing there going, I get double today, you know. He, yeah, right, you do. Now you get none. Lightning exactly. <laughs> How dare you insult me by trying to control me with a puny uh, ring. Well, that would be an interesting variant of it, though. Ma- it let it double those high level spells, but also give it a chance that you get none that day. Mm. So maybe sometimes you catch Odin in a good mood, he'll give you that second spells. Other times he's like, I'm not talking to you, go away to come yeah. back tomorrow. Maybe yeah, he's like, know. nah. <laughs> yeah, maybe his car broke down that day, you got a flat tire and he was having a bad day. So Right. Had to break the fight between the suns, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Alright, cool. Okay. So yeah. that's that's the ring in a finger. <laughs> Tell us how you use it. RFSstaff at gmail.com. Blackstone's Ball. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Blackstone's Vault. I am your host, Blackstone. In this episode, I will be covering Module WG4. The Forgotten Temple of Tharzadun, which is part of the WG series, World of Greyhawk series, and this was written by Gary Gygax, uh, published in 1982 by TSR Hobbies, and it covers levels 5 to 10. Now, this module is interesting for its it's an addition, an add-on to Lost Caverns of Zoicanth, which was module S4 of the uh, S-series, the special series of modules. Now, how the player characters get involved is, in that particular module, one of the areas that they discover is the Gnome Vale. There's an area of, of mountain gnomes. They live in this valley, and um, the player characters hopefully befriend them. Now, in relating to this module, the the, the leader of the gnomes relate some information to the player characters that they've been having some serious troubles. Some attacks have been happening to the, uh, to the gnomes by giants and ogres and norkers, just to name a few creatures. So he asked, he asked for their help in finding out where these creatures are coming from. And, and they hopes that they can eradicate the threat now, part of the underlying story is where these norkers and giants and other humanoid creatures are are raiding from 
is an old, long, forgotten temple dedicated to an evil, the ultimate evil god, Tharzadun, who was banished hundreds of years ago beyond space and time. And not even the dwellers, the current dwellers of the temple, know what the original intent of the temple was. They're just using it as a base of operations. So even they are completely ignorant of what's the true meaning of the temple. With that being said, this module oozes atmosphere. As in my previous module, I, I covered Ravenloft, which is very much in the epitome of the gothic horror genre. This one is very Lovecraftian in its approach. Uh, think of you know the works of H.P. Lovecraft, or even uh, some of the swords and sorcery adventures by by Robert E. Howard, and much of the Conan the Barbarian stuff, where he has to deal with sometimes horrors from beyond space and time. And Tharzadun is that it is a horror beyond space and time. Now, basically, there are two sections of this module. There is a wilderness section, and then there's the dungeon section, the actual temple. Now, in the wilderness section, if you're familiar with module S4, Lost Cavern Azoikanth, it, in that respect, it's very similar to the wilderness setup of that module. So you have random encounters plus some other preset encounters that are in the mountains when they go when the player characters go venturing forth uh some of these encounters are trolls um there's an avalanche um you also have aracocra griffins uh lucrata there's a safe valley if they're lucky if they could find it and also there's a group of orcs a rather large group of orcs that are in the mountain areas as well. Then you have the actual temple area, the Temple of Tharzadun. And the descriptions of the temple are, are, are rather interesting in, in how Gygax lays it out. He also has, in the temple, amongst the Norkers, you have gnolls, there's a mountain giant, there is several... Uh, other type of creatures such as an anise, there's ogres, dire wolves, there's giant trolls, grell. So quite a bit of a mixture of, of creatures in this module. What I found interesting in this module is that the mixture of creatures most of them, or at least I'd say half, are from the Fiend Folio. As I said, he had the Norkers. You have, there's a giant troll. There's a mountain giant. Just to name a few that are out of the, the uh, Fiend Folio. There, and I also recall there's a coffer corpse area as well. And that's just the monsters. And, and that is rather interesting. What is very interesting is the the way that the player characters have to find their way around this thing. It's 
somewhat uh, complex. There's a lot of things that they have to do, a lot of things that they have to find to get to what would be the actual inner workings of the temple beyond the dungeon to getting into the under temple area. One of the things that's rather interesting is at the very beginning, Gygax gives a very detailed description of how the the Norkers and the Knolls and the very top of the temples, how they're going to defend the the temple. And it's very detailed description. Now, some DMs might like that, some might not, but I thought it was rather interesting that Gygax thought it was important to lay out the defenses of the upper level as he would for the DM. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to follow it exactly to a T, but I think it's some pretty good guidelines to go by for for a DM when running this particular adventure. Now, as far as other things like traps, there are a few traps, but nothing um, far as mechanical. There's a lot of magical traps, especially at the end when you get to the under temple area. And quite frankly, the trap is rather deadly. Uh, bag, if you don't make a, it's a typical save or die type scenario that you might run in with a, with a Gygax adventure. So overall, lots of interesting mo- monsters, a mix of monster manual and fiendfolio monsters, uh, some traps, but it's a really a fact finding adventure. Find out what this temple actually is. Even some of the monsters that inhabit this temple, particularly the mountain giant who's kind of running things, he's not particularly comfortable in certain areas of this temple. He's not so certain, you know, he's he's very afraid of certain areas of this temple as well he will not go into. Which goes into the whole basis of the module is atmosphere. As I said, the atmosphere of this module is very Lovecraftian horror, beyond space and time kind of thing. And there's a really good uh, example of this, at least I think. Uh, one of them is an area called the Large Antechamber. And I'll read this, quote, This square room has strange striations of color on its walls. These lines of plum color, mauve veins, and lilac worms make the beholder somewhat nauseous if he stares at them for more than a few seconds. These colors are faint, but they seem to writhe and twist when not looked at, as if as soon as the viewer looked away and then took up some secret of an obscene motion observable only from the corner of the eye. End quote. Yes, there's stuff like that all throughout the module. So one gets the feeling when running this as a DM that there is some underlying unnatural horror about the whole temple itself. And you might even want to drop hints of that even along the way to the temple. Maybe there's some strange things lurking out of the corner of the eye. And as soon as you look at it, oh, everything's fine. Maybe things aren't just quite right. Things aren't not as they appear as they should. I think that makes a very good uh, scenario, in my opinion. 
Now, as I said earlier, there are certain things, there are certain areas that the player characters need to find in order to get to the under temple of the forgotten temple of Tharzadun. And certain certain things happen and play out to where the player characters interact and they get to this area called the Black Cyst, which is possibly, it's not necessarily say in the module itself, but this Black Cyst could possibly be the quote-unquote resting place of Tharzadun himself or itself. Now, it doesn't necessarily say it in the module, but one gets the impression that maybe this is like what is part of Tharzadun is poking out into the player character's reality. And there, once the player characters get to this area, there are some rewards, some pretty good rewards that are waiting for the player characters. Now, does it mean that the that Tharzadun is blocked out of our reality forever? No, not really. It's more of a a, a tangible uh, treasure in itself. Doesn't necessarily lock Tharzadun away forever, but uh, it seems there is some sort of reward for the player characters. Now, a little bit about this module itself, or at least surrounding it, is. This is one of these modules that it seems kind of fallen under the radar for a lot of people. It seemed, at least for me, gone, gone quite unnoticed for for quite some time, even when it was out. I got my copy maybe, I believe it was in 1990 or 91 at a uh, game store somewhere outside of Memphis, Tennessee, and it was the first time I ever seen this one. I'm like, hmm, this is quite unusual. I've never seen this one, never even heard of it before, as far as I recalled. And I picked it up, and I was very fortunate to get my copy there. Um, so this is one of those I'm I'm really kind of surprised about, that when I picked it up, it has a lot of good atmosphere, a lot of good mixture of monsters and traps. And if you like... You know, Lovecraft, Robert E. Howard, that sort of swords and sorcery type of of, of reading and, and genre, you know, very pulpy in that respect. This is really up your alley, and I think you'd really enjoy it. So I highly, highly recommend this module if you can get a hold of it. I'm sure you can find it on places like eBay or at your local conventions. Uh, but like I said, it's one of those that you don't hear a whole lot about, but it seems like in, at least in the past, uh, in recent years, it's gotten a little bit more recognition. And from what I understand, a little bit of footnote to this, this whole module was laid out, artwork, the whole shebang in like a month at TSR Hobbies, which I guess is rather uh, unusual in that respect. So... Highly recommend this module uh, for anybody who likes that sort of swords and sorcery or swords and sandals kind of of, of uh, literature. And uh, again, 
fantastic. I hope to run it again for my players very soon. So this is Blackstone signing off, and we're hoping that all your hits are crits. Ooh, one of those electronic voting dealies. So for the last segment tonight, we have the 10-foot pole. Yay! Yay! And the 10-foot pole this week is, you're about to fight the big bad. How do you do it? Do you, A, plan a well-placed attack, wiping out the minions one by one, then the big bad? And then our group just runs in. This is option B. Our group just runs in and kills whatever moves. Ha-ha. Option C. Kill all except the big pad. Have him beg for mercy, then kill him anyway. And final D is fight everything and knock out the big bad, bringing him into justice. Funny that that got What's no votes. that middle one again? Our group just runs in and kills whatever moves. <laughs> no. What was the first one? Plan a well-placed attack, wiping out the minions one by one, then the big bad. Or kill everything except the big bad and have him beg for his life and then kill him anyway. What would you vote for, Jason? Was there anything about converting him to your cause? Uh, Bringing him into justice would work for converting his cause. I'll do that one. So there's one vote for that. (laughs) I did plan a well-placed attack... Wiping out the minions. Yeah. Because that's, that's our MO. <laughs> In our that's, group. Yeah, that's my group's the same way. It's like, okay. But you go how they do it is completely out of left field. <laughs> that's the thing. It's like, yeah, that's the general idea what they do. But how they execute that, you're like, hey? Well, it seems like, like the people voted with you with the uh, plan of well-placed attack with 50% of the votes. Yes. And, 56 now since I voted. Oh, sorry, 56. Uh, and, Refresh the stream, buddy. Sorry. And our group that runs in and kills and everything is not far behind, and uh, Kill All is third, and Jason running in last with one vote. <laughs> Fight everything. Two now. You two now, yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, Jason Oh, voted. you're voting often, huh? Yeah, Jason votes often. No, I haven't now. voted yet. No. no, I had no votes, and you're not number one. Oh, I'm the only vote? Yes. All right. So that's going to put uh, nail in the coffin for the episode this week. The thump. issue number fifty-nine, yeah, thump fifty-nine. The farewell, Jason show. Yeah. Oh, hi, Jason. Ciao. If we only had a few more minutes. Anyway, that's the show. Keep it original. Keep it old school. Good night, everybody. Night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Roll for initiative.